You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is time. It is time. They can't be Packers. Are you crazy? You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Leahy. Follow me on Twitter at JJ Leahy, L-A-H-E-Y. Stay up to date on all the latest Packers news or to ask questions. Got a cool question uh, in the Facebook group from Billy. It was addressed to me and to Clayton, and Clayton had an episode sooner than I did, and i got to be honest, I was kind of still planning on answering the question, which was, uh, how good is Eric Stokes? But dude, <laughs> Clayton killed it. He knocked it out of the park. Um, so for the next 25 minutes on this podcast, I'm just going to play for you what Clayton said. No, I'm kidding. Do check out Clayton's most recent episode of Packers Total Access. That's right here on the Packernet Podcast Network. Um, there were a bunch of times when he was talking that I was like, all right, he's probably kind of getting to the end of the point. And there's still like good meaty information out there that I can, uh, share with the fine folks about Eric Stokes. And he kept going and finding more good stuff. And I'm like, you know what? He said all that needs to be said. <laughs> so that was uh, fantastic for Clayton. Uh, a bummer for me. Cause I was looking forward to answering that question, but I mean, come on, I'd be double dipping at this point. Devondre Campbell took to Twitter on Tuesday. Uh, Let's see. For seven years now, y'all been trying to discredit everything I've done in this league, LOL. Since day one, I've been a starter, never been a backup or practice squad player. Have y'all not learned your lesson yet going against me? I always come out on top, LOL. A Falcons fan replied, you were solid for us, to be fair. That's where it gets interesting. Devondre responds and said, I did so much for the Falcons. Shake my head. Only my teammates and coaches know how many job responsibilities I had on a weekly basis, and I never complained about it, but it hurt me in the long run. The Packers listened to me, and look what happened. I love it because with all the um, stuff that happened last year with Aaron Rodgers, with uh, Devonta Adams leaving this year, Green Bay needs for the star players that they have who are happy (laughs) in Green Bay, who like the Packers, who like their coaches, they need those guys to be heard. I think it goes a long way when Devondre Campbell, who is respected in this league, is saying stuff like this and other players in the league are hearing it. So that was really cool. 
And if you're curious about um, what he was referring to when he says that he did all his work without complaining and it hurt him in the long run, Devondre's contention has been that the Falcons and and uh, didn't he play for the Cardinals too? The Falcons and Cardinals misused him. Uh, that they had him dropping into coverage a ton of time. Which, if you're a linebacker in coverage, you're just naturally going to be faced up against some really unfavorable matchups. Why you have a whole defensive back room devoted to the art of coverage, and they are a much smaller build than a linebacker. Now, you need a guy like Devondre when you're going up against one of the really premier tight end talents in the league. I think that a lot of the time, a tight end is a pretty bad matchup uh, for a safety or a corner. Not that they can't do it, but, I mean, a, a, a linebacker who can cover is a huge um, benefit in that circumstance. And the linebacker is the guy that you are calling on to hopefully come defend that tight end. Uh, They had um, Devondre on uh, some of the better wide receivers in the league. And Devondre has been saying ever since he got here that he much prefers just being used as a Mike linebacker. Just let me go be a true linebacker. Let me tee off against the run. Understand that, yes, there are times when we're going to ask you to go, you know, uh, defend a gap, cover a tight end. But in Joe Barry's scheme, you also have the freedom to go make a play on the ball, something that he really enjoys doing. So, again, when, when you have a situation where one of your um, – like I said, well-respected and successful. I mean, he was an all-pro linebacker last year. You got a guy like that, praising the Packers, talking him up. Uh, badly needed <laughs> um, right now. I mean, I mean, always it's beneficial, but right now especially, you know, when the, when the Packers are uh, doing a little bit of firefighting on the PR front, I think it's really important that that kind of thing gets heard. So... Um, as many other players around the league who are going to be in free agency or, you know, whatever, considering the Packers in the future, you want that message in front of them. You want them to hear it. Fun little exercise. Um, so this was a, a Bears fan who originally posted this at Fields to Mooney. Uh, the exercise is you go through the roster and you pick out there's seven categories, all right? So most overrated, he says Justin Fields. Most underrated, Travis Gibson. So he's talking about the Bears, obviously. Best player, Roquan Smith. I disagree with that, but also there's not a big pool of <laughs> good players to pick from in Chicago right now. Key new addition, Byron Pringle. That's how sad the Bears franchise is at the moment. Could surprise, Tavon Young. Tavon Young, who the heck is What position does he play? I don't even know his, his name. Tavon Young, uh, fourth rounder from 2016, picked by Baltimore. He's a cornerback. I do remember looking at him one time. Who were we playing? This is like uh, last year or the year before? He was with Baltimore last year, so that must have been when I was looking at him. Uh, Tavon Young, could surprise. All right. 
takes a leap, Justin Fields. He has Fields on here twice. Prove it year, Cole Komet. Um, two things on Cole Komet. First of all, absolutely, yes, prove it year. Second thing, though, what year was he drafted? Was that uh, 2019 or 2020? I think it was 20. Yeah, 2020. All right, so this is his third year. Now, I'm not saying that it's a fine or good or excusable sign, you know, that uh, the dude has been complete trash up until this point. But year three is the first year that you should be looking for any kind of results from a tight end. It's a big reason why I really stay out of any of the arguing about um, Josiah DeGuara. Dude has just not been in the league long enough, and tight end is a position that takes way too long to learn and to build your body up. You you cannot uh, jump too quickly on a young tight end and, and be freaking out about lack of results and, and stuff. Now, having said that, yes, you can evaluate what Cole Kmet has done and say it's not good enough. Uh, he's not showing any signs you know, just because um, there are reasons why he hasn't looked great so far. doesn't mean that it's excusable that he – do you see what I'm saying? That it's, it's like with Jordan Love, all right? A lot of excuses you can make for Jordan Love, but that doesn't just because you can make excuses for why he's been not great. It doesn't mean that he is good. It just means if later on he is good, and we look back at right now, it's not crazy to look back and say, "Oh yeah, you know what? There there were lots of excuses why Cole Komet or Jordan Love didn't look good those first few years." Um. It's not really worth going over Komet's stats and grades. They're not good. They're not horrific. They're slightly below average. Um, he was basically average-ish last year. No touchdowns, but played okay um, in the in the receiving game. Um. Anyways, but we're not talking about the Bears. We're talking about the Packers. So here's here's my answer about the Packers. And a bunch of you guys jumped on and filled out your own because you didn't like mine. That's fine. That's great. This is why you should be following me on Twitter so that when I post something like this, you can say, here's my version. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm going to start off right off the bat. Hot take. Most overrated. I said Rasul Douglas. Don't turn off the podcast. Why did I say Rasul Douglas? The definition of overrated is not sucky player. It's people say he's way better than he actually is. Um, exhibit A. A guy named John replies, Rasul is nowhere near overrated. He's becoming what Woodson was for us if he's able to keep playing at an elite level. I think he will 100%. Like I said, the definition of overrated right here. I'm not saying Rasul is a bad player. I like Rasul Douglas. There is not a Rasul Douglas problem. There is a disconnect in how we talk about him versus how he actually played. Charles Woodson and Rasul Douglas are in drastically different tiers. And uh, let's, let's look on a game by game basis here with Rasul. Just I'm I'm just trying to uh, validate why I listed him as overrated so where where do you have him in your brain he's like locked down like almost as good as Jair right Stokes and Douglas are like almost as good as Jair Rasul is this crazy good ball hawk 
Um, that was certainly true for a couple of games. And again, remember, I'm not dogging Rasul. I'm not saying that he's a bad player. I'm not. I'm happy he's on the team. I'm not even saying he has to be better this year or we have a problem. I'm not saying any of that. But you can't compare him to Charles Woodson. He had three games total last year where he graded out well. Week 7 against Washington, Week 12 against uh, the Rams, and Week 14 against Chicago. In those three games, I hate the way they set this up. Here we go. Uh, In those three games, he had one... He had two interceptions and a touchdown, which is a big part of where his great grade came from. Now, he also, in the in the Cleveland game, he had two interceptions, one of which he returned for a touchdown. If you can believe it, that was one of his poorer games of the season. Now, not necessarily in coverage. His coverage was fine. It was almost exactly average. His run defense and everybody's run defense that day along the whole defense was just horrific. Um, I'm not singling Rasul out as being uniquely terrible among all the Packers defenders that day. The whole defense sucked at uh, run defense. And it wasn't just when Nick Chubb was on the field, but it was especially when Nick Chubb was on the field. So, But you had a three-game stretch from weeks... 12, so there's a bye bye week in here as well, week 13. But week 12, 14, and 15, so that's four real-time weeks in a row and three games in a row, where Rasul posted a grade of 91.2, 90.6, and 69.6. If you're curious, the bye week was not between the drop-off. It was between the two 90s. So it was 90 by 90, 69, all right? Across those three weeks, he was the highest-graded uh, defensive player in the NFL. And in those two 90 games, it was especially his coverage that really um, brought his grade up so high. He allowed 79 yards to the Rams, zero yards to the Bears. And I do remember the Rams game. Um because it was interesting because he did give up the one really long play. I think that was to Odell. I think it was early in the game for 54 yards. The rest of the day, he gave up a total of 25 yards on the other two receptions. So, you know, roughly 12 and a half yards apiece. But he had uh, two pass breakups, an interception, uh, which he returned for a touchdown. And targets. He was targeted 10 times and only allowed three completions. You can see where his fantastic grade came from. Seven incompletions against Rasul. There are situations where he really can be elite. And one of the things that he does quite well, he has a nose for the football. Um, I, I really enjoy, I think, uh, that game and then maybe also the Seattle game? No, it was the Rams game. The Rams game and the Chicago game, the following uh, game that he played, where I noticed, and the announcers were pointing it out, that he was running these clever routes. Not not routes, because it's the receiver who's running the routes, but he's, he's running a clever strategy where... <laughs> 
he's not looking at the quarterback. All right. And, and he's, he's, uh, a little bit off coverage, right? He's he's making his guy look more open than he is. And then the second the quarterback throws the ball, all of a sudden he closes right away. He's like baiting the quarterback into throwing the ball. Now, uh, Woodson did like doing that. Morgan Burnett liked doing that. Uh, ha ha Clinton Dix for a while liked doing that. That was a cool thing that Packers DBs did. Not to say that other teams don't, but that was kind of a signature trait of the Packers uh, DB group, uh, you know, circa early uh, 2010s. It was a fun thing they did. And it was fun to watch Rasul do that. And it was successful. And I think, it, you know, stuff like that and the, and how aggressively he pursues the football certainly contributed to why he came up with the ball so many times last year. Is he going to repeat that? Hard to say. He had five picks and two touchdowns last year. Seven pass breakups. I think the pass breakups is something I really would like to see stay high as well. Obviously, you want everything. But um, uh, one area where he probably could improve this year is commit fewer penalties. Now, the nice thing is um, only one of his, the five penalties that were called on him last year was accepted, and that was uh, week six against Chicago. That was his debut game. The rest of the year, actually the first four games in a row that he played for us, he had a penalty in all four. So uh, that's one area I'd like to see him clean up. Again, I, I really don't have a problem with Russell. I think he's a good player. Um, do I think he's overpaid? No, not based on what he did last year. I just want to see him replicate that again this year to, you know, prove that we didn't make a mistake by paying him. But as of right now, I feel fine about the contract. Really happy that he's sticking around. But my point still stands. I listed him as the most overrated player on the team and immediately had people coming to my mentions to make comparisons between Rasul and Charles Woodson. Just proving my point. (laughs) If I were to have a list of, like, mediocre players, Rasul would not be on that list. But if I'm listing players who there's a disconnect between how good they are and the absurd level that we talk about him, I'm sorry, but currently we are way overhyping Rasul. Hey, hopefully this year he balls out so ridiculously well that this podcast looks stupid. That would be fantastic. I would love that. All right, I'm going to keep going on with the list. Most underrated, I listed Adrian Amos. And right away, has somebody come and say, hey, aren't you, you the guy who said that Amos was trash last year? No, I did not say he was trash. I did point out last year that there was about a five-game stretch where Amos was really struggling. That's fine. A good player can struggle. Doesn't mean that he's not a good player. But it was worth acknowledging. Um, do, 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 do. If you look at his year... Started off um, actually week one against the Saints when the whole defense was struggling. He was the lone bright spot. Played pretty well. Well, him and uh, Devondre Campbell. I liked Campbell's performance in that game. Um, Weeks two through five. So that's four game stretch. He was not terrible, but he was not playing at an Adrian Amos level. Then he had two good games. Two back-to-back really bad games. So the two good games were Chicago in week seven and then Washington we are Chicago week six, Washington week seven. And then against Arizona and Kansas city, 
he was dreadful. Um, Arizona, he was dreadful by anyone's standard, not just his own. Um, Seattle, he had a fantastic game, although he did have a missed tackle. Um, but he did make three other tackles, so that was encouraging. He also had a stop. Then, one, two, three, four, five. He had a five-game stretch where he was average to below average, which is very low for Adrian Amos. Then week 17 uh, against Minnesota, bounced back up, had another good game, and then finished the year with two poor performances against Detroit and San Francisco. Put it all together, he had really just two great games. Well, he had he had a his Seattle game was an elite grade. His Washington game was a great grade, and they had one, two, three games in the seventies, which is good. The whole rest of the year, so that's five out of seventeen. Well, eighteen games including the playoffs. Five out of eighteen games, he was good to elite. The other 12 games, he was average to below average. Now, I'm just asking, does that sound like Adrian Amos to you? It's not how he's played the other years he's been here. That's why I was highlighting that he was struggling last year. Never said he wasn't good. And I still say that he is um, absolutely underrated. And when he is playing really well, it benefits Darnell Savage um, and, and frees up Savage to go be a bit more of a playmaker. Uh, which is something I really like. So I'm I'm still putting Adrian Amos as the most underrated player on the team. Best player, not super interesting. It's obviously Aaron Rodgers. Other fantastic players on this team, but the dude occupies a rare reserved space in the Hall of Fame <laughs> that I don't think anybody else on the roster could compete with. Key new addition, Quay Walker. I've talked on this podcast several times about Quay Walker. I'm going to continue to do it. Hyping up. What a massive impact I think Quay can have. And I'm going to stop myself right here because if I start talking about Quay, I'm going to do it for another 40 minutes. Promise I'm going to do another Quay Walker episode soon because I have so much stuff I want to talk about with him. Could surprise? I said Amari Rogers. Other people in the comments were not thrilled with that one. Um, see here. I had one guy... Where did, it, where did it go? I don't I don't see it, but I remember him saying that uh, I miscategorized Amari Rodgers and should have put him as the most overrated player because he's not even going to make the team this year. We'll see, man. I strongly disagree with that prediction. I think he's going to make the team, and uh, I, I listed him as um, the guy that I think is most likely to take a leap. And then prove it year, there's a few places you could go with this you could go Robert Tunyon um Tunyon actually also could go in most overrated but I think prove a year is maybe a, a little more optimistic spot to put him in especially considering that he's coming back from a surgically repaired ACL I think that he has a lot on the line to prove in terms of you know how much does he still have is he going to bounce back and be you know, the best version of himself again and continue to grow as a player, hopefully. You also could put David Bakhtiari here for a similar reason. He has a lot to prove. Can he prove that he can get back in the field? We're going to talk about that in a minute. I chose Darnell Savage. I think that Savage uh, took a lot of heat 
last season and this off season. Um, some of it deserved, a lot of it undeserved. I think that he was not as bad as a lot of people think he was last year or recall him being. But certainly, some of that criticism is, is warranted. But this this was my list. I thought it was fun. Um, and since I teased it, I'm not going to keep you waiting. Let's talk about David Bakhtiari. Would there be anything that would keep Bakhtiari from participating in training camp? I mean, time will tell. I, I We fully anticipated him being ready to go, but, um, you know, we, we did last year as well, so I think time will tell. But we feel good about the work that he's put in and where he's at. So, you know, that's not great. December 31st, 2020 is when he injured his ACL. That was 531 days ago. Don't love to see that. Uh, it'd be nice if we could get a little bit more than like, oh, hopefully he'll be back. But, you know, that's what we said a year ago. So, <laughs> fingers crossed. So, anyways, it, I'm still operating under the assumption that David Bakhtiari will be our starting left tackle. But, you know, there's a lot of quotes like this from LaFleur over the course of this um, off season, And he hasn't given anything more positive than that at any point. There's just a lot of, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, well, we'll you know, we'll see. A lot of, you know, these things are tricky. All right, I do have to take an ad break right here, and then uh, I'm going to come back with some more uh, notes from uh, Matt LaFleur and uh, coaches and and player updates and stuff in Green Bay uh, from the Tuesday practices. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. DJ Slayton 
is showing encouraging signs, uh, at least in Matt LaFleur's eyes. Uh, he says, LaFleur says, I think that TJ's work capacity alone has definitely increased, and I think that's a learning curve for a lot of young players that they don't necessarily know what they're getting into when they first get into this league. There were some um, references to an improved work ethic as well. For the first half of last year, Slayton was getting single-digit snaps per game. I think the average was about eight. Then Kenny Clark got hurt midway through the season, and TJ was afforded a bigger role for a while, and he was able to hold on to that increased role when Kenny got back. Now, it seems like whenever they need a true nose tackle, Slayton is the guy they put out there. On the depth chart, certainly seems like he's behind Jerron Reed, but maybe ahead of Dean Lowry and Devontae Wyatt. So that's interesting. Um, not exactly where I would have expected it, but I'm encouraged and pleased to see that he's getting there. So this week, there are not a lot of starters out there. Uh, Rashawn Gary, of course, is there because he's always here. Uh, John Runyon, who else? Uh, Royce Newman, Josh Myers. Struggling to think of who else, uh, who's not a rookie, is here this week. Um, let's see. Rodgers, of course, is gone. Uh, none of the running backs are here, including Patrick Taylor. None of the receivers, you know, Lazard, Sammy Watkins, Randall Cobb. Malik Taylor. Now, Randall Cobb, you may, maybe would have expected would be here because he was at voluntary OTAs, uh, but he is also not here. Mercedes Lewis isn't here. Uh, Bakhtiari's gone. Jake Hansen is gone. That's a little bit of an interesting one. I, I feel like Jake Hansen's really on, on the roster bubble. I'm a little confused, you know, A, why he's still here because the coaches, well, they... I don't know. The coaches have never seemed thrilled about him. He's really not really gotten any playing time either. Uh, let's see. Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Jerron Reed are all gone. Uh, it's basically only Rashawn from the pass rusher group. Uh, everybody else is gone. Uh, Devondre Campbell is gone. Chris Barnes and Ty Summers. Of course, Quay Walker is a rookie, so he's got to be there. All the cornerbacks are gone. I mean, every single one of them. <laughs> All the safeties are gone. So you're, you are left with, uh, there are a few injured guys who are not able to practice but are still participating in uh, rehab. So Elton Jenkins, Robert Tunyon, Kylan Hill. A lot of people, I think, are forgetting that Kylan Hill is even on the team. But like I said, uh, we do have some of the offensive linemen here. Notable, because I think these guys are competing for their jobs. Now, John Runyon is a, is a really good guard. But we have so many guys in that room right now who can play guard. And who are really trying to crack this starting roster. I think Runyon is wise to make use of all the opportunities he has to show what he can do and um, be improving his game. You know, look, I'm, I'm starting ahead of these rookies from a talent perspective. They're here getting better. 
I need to also be getting better so I can stay ahead of them. So the uh, number one offensive line right now is Yash Nyman at left tackle, and then John Runyon at guard, left guard, of course. Josh Myers at center, Royce Newman at right guard, and Cole Van Lannen at right tackle. However, uh, those two guys on the right did swap at one point. Uh, you, they moved Royce Newman out to right tackle and bumped Cole Van Lannen inside to right guard. That intrigues me a ton because I have really been expecting Royce Newman to be in the mix for the right tackle job. Sean Ryan, I think, really to me projects as possibly our starting right guard um, if 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 Royce Newman takes over the right tackle job. I, I just think that's really in an option that's in the cards here. I think Royce Newman is a significantly more talented player than Cole Van Lannen. And Royce... Uh, did project well as a tackle in college. Uh, to do running backs, the I think the only running back in town is uh, B.J. Baylor, who's our uh, UDFA this year. We have a stable of wide receivers here still. Uh, Amari Rogers is in town. Glad to see that. If he was not in town, I'd be annoyed. <laughs> uh, then you got all our, our rookies. Tyler Davis has been taking snaps as the number one tight end. Where's uh, is DeGuara here? It looks like DeGuara is not here. Uh, that's fine. I mean, obviously, obviously I want everybody here, but uh, Ty- Tyler Davis is generating so much buzz among the media. And I'm, I think part of the hype around Tyler Davis is a bit of a meme. Like I, I don't I don't think that everybody who is talking him up is actually this excited about him. I know he had that one really great catch over the middle in what was it, the Ravens game maybe? I remember that. And I've I've heard Goody and LaFleur kind of talking him up a little bit. I get it. And he he certainly look, there's there is absolutely room in the tight end room for a guy to step up and separate himself. Absolutely, there's opportunity. And and Tyler Davis has a nice uh, physical skill set. Great attributes. Sure. Do it, you know. <laughs> there is opportunity, and I say go Tyler Davis. But I'm really keying in a little bit on this. I think that some of, if not a, a lot of, this Tyler Davis hype is just kind of a meme, like kind of kind of like the Tim Boyle thing. All right, there were you had a couple of folks out there like Andy Herman who really did think that Tim Boyle was legit, and most everybody else just understood he's just a backup quarterback. But the Tim Boyle memes were kind of fun. Everybody kind of liked just talking him up as though he was elite. And then I think some folks who were maybe not quite in the know heard all the hype around him and then you know heard the couple of people like Andy Herman who genuinely were really high on Tim Boyle and kind of took that as you know gospel 
and thought he really was this great. Tyler Davis, to me, I'm, I'm putting him like one, okay, 99.1% in the completely unproven, unknown commodity column. And we'll see what he can do. Like I said, absolutely there is opportunity. We have, I, I think that tight end is probably the most concerning room we have on the roster. And maybe by a big margin. But uh, if, if a guy like him can stand up, stand out, that would go a long way toward fixing some problems we have. And Tanyan, you know, for his first couple of years here, similar situation to Tyler Davis where he's, you know, kind of a fan favorite. Um, you see him once in a million years on the field and he looks really good. Uh, I see him in training camp and you think he's something, you know, and I, I remember cause I was really big on Tunyon back when there was not really any reason to be big on him and pitching his name to various, uh, podcasters that I listened to. I remember sending in a question back when Jimmy Graham was here to, uh, to Ryan here on packing a podcast and asking like, do you think that, you know, because I, cause I really wanted to move on from Jimmy Graham, and I was asking, like, do you think Robert Tunyon could be the number one? And, you know, he's kind of laughing us off, like, dude, please tell me you're not being serious, because we've seen nothing from Tunyon to indicate that he can be. Turned out, he kind of could be our number one. Uh, but, you know, again, at that point, he really had not proven anything, <laughs> so it was not that crazy to be really dismissive of that concept, and I think that Tyler Davis, you have to fairly classify a similar way. Um, let's see. Dobbs is practicing with the first team, but there's not a lot of receivers here, so I don't read into that a ton. It sounds like, um, to me, it sounds like Christian Watson maybe is going to be kind of slotted in as the wide receiver one, just based on what we've seen at OTAs. Now, granted, Alan Lazard has not been there, so I think that him now being with the team again is going to drastically change things. <clears throat> Dobbs, so far, sounds like he is mostly limited to special teams contributions. Um, we've seen him... Uh, doing returns. I think we've seen him as a gunner as well. All right, so this is probably going to be a, a, a path to the roster for him. I mean, you know, he's a fourth-round pick. The He's not in any danger of not making the roster. Um, you know, not any significant danger. I'm not, I'm not concerned about that, but have not really seen him very much with the actual uh, starting offense. Whereas Christian Watson, we've seen quite a bit. Here's a name that you are not going to be familiar with who is benefiting massively from having every single outside linebacker uh, except for Sean being gone. Kobe Jones. Let's talk about Kobe Jones. Uh, for a lot of you folks, this is probably the first time you've ever heard the name. But he's getting snaps with the number one defense because he is one of only two outside linebackers in camp. <laughs> Dude, take advantage of this opportunity. That's huge. 
Uh, anybody? I, I I would have to imagine that Chauncey Manic is here as well. I've seen zero notes about Chauncey Manic. Did let me check. Did we cut him? And I just forgot to take him off my list. Let's see. Chauncey. He's still with the oh, Packers.com says he's his name is pronounced Manak. Chauncey Manak. That's terrible. M-A-N-A-C. Call him Manak. That's such a better name. Manak? Are you kidding me? Ah, that's so disappointing. He could be Chauncey Manak. I kind of want to still call him Chauncey Manak anyways. That's so much cooler. Six foot three, two hundred forty-six pounds. He's twenty-four years old. Went to uh, Louisiana, um, the uh, Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Uh, who went there? Oh, Eli Mitchell went there. Uh, Manac actually, prior to going to Louisiana, he was actually at Georgia for one year in twenty sixteen. Uh, let's see, played four seasons for the Raging Cajuns. Had 166 tackles, 33 and a half tackles for loss, 19 and a half sacks. This is over four seasons, 46 games. One interceptions, four passes defense, three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries. Named second team All Sun Belt in 2021. Okay. <laughs> uh, and looks like his final year, he set. Career highs in with 56, 57 tackles, 35 solo tackles, 14 and a half tackles for loss, 10 and a half sacks, and two forced fumbles. Those are good stats. Now it is the Sun Belt, but those are good stats. Can see why the Packers picked him up. So Manak is still with the team, but Kobe Jones is the guy who's getting snaps opposite Rashawn Gary. Went to Mississippi State. We've got a bunch of players on the Packers roster who went to Mississippi State. Let's see if I can grab the full list here. Come on, sort it. There we go. M, Mississippi State. Okay. Yeah, there's four guys in the roster right now. Preston Smith, Elton Jenkins, and Kylan Hill are the other three guys who went to Mississippi State. Packers do really have a habit of, even with their... Uh, free agent pickups, their street free agent pickups and UDFAs. They really like guys from the same schools over and over again. And, and uh, well, anyways, and so Kobe Jones, um, let's see. He was actually, this is interesting. So he was a 2021 undrafted free agent. We did. He's not a, not a guy from this year. We picked him up on May 9th of this year, so just after the draft. But he was signed by the Falcons last year. Was released by the Falcons at the end of training camp. Spent time on the practice squad of the Miami Dolphins during the season. And then was on the Tennessee Titans roster, it looks like, this past offseason. Oh, well, everybody's on their roster this offseason. Okay, but he, but he was with the Titans this past year up until... Not sure when he was cut, but we picked him up on May 9th. So he played 50 games at Mississippi State over four seasons from 2017 to 2020. Recorded 102 tackles, 42 solos, uh, 22 tackles for a loss, seven sacks, one forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. So, you know, it's an interesting 
comparison, by the way, between Kobe Jones and Chauncey Manak. Uh, Manak had much better stats across the board, but he went to a much smaller school, the, uh, Louisiana versus Mississippi State. Big difference there. Mississippi State is in the SEC. So, um, oh, we got some big news. I probably should have taken this off the top of the show, but uh, Packers picked up a kicker. So they waived kicker uh, Dominic uh, Eberle, who is not a guy who ever instilled any confidence in me. He's gone. And they picked up Gabe Burkich. I think it's how you say his name. is way more consonants than vowels. It's just an I. It's B-R-K-I-C. B-R-K-I-C. So it's pronounced Burkich. And uh, we actually picked him up off of waivers from the Vikings. Uh, Dominic Eberle was not claimed by anybody when we released him. Surprise, surprise. Burkich uh, is a 2022 undrafted free agent. Out of Oklahoma, played in 38 games over four seasons for the Sooners. Uh, career field goal percentage of 82.6. That's 57 of 69. His long was 56 yards. You do like to see that. Um, he made 159 out of 160 extra points for a. So that's, that's one missed extra point for a. Uh, career percentage of 99.4. You like to see that. In 2021, he was one of three Lou Groza Award finalists. An award presented annually to the top college football kicker in the U.S. by the Palm Beach County Sports Commission. Uh, the award is named after former Ohio State Buckeye and Cleveland Brown, Lou Groza. So it sounds like he did not win that award, but he was one of three finalists. He was second team all Big 12 um, and uh, second team academic all Big 12. Don't really care about that. I mean, congratulations, but it doesn't make you a better football player. Um, and two-time Big 12 special teams player of the week. In his final year, he made five kicks of 50 plus yards on seven attempts so he's uh five and two tied for the most in the nation so that's pretty cool bill huber noted that jordan love in the uh off-season practices this year usually is successful in getting the ball into the end zone during their two-minute drills, which is something I had not noticed. Um, but now that he pointed it out, looking back, that seems to be correct. They've been doing this for four weeks, and he's um, made some boneheaded plays the rest of the time. But during the two-minute drills, seems like he does pretty well. Uh, so again, on Tuesday, Jordan Love found the end zone. Starting at their 20-yard line, with 138 on the clock and zero timeout, Love led a touchdown drive during a starters versus starters two-minute drill. I would put that in air quotes because half the team isn't even there, but I read off to you who is there. And they do have their, their starting offensive line, so that's important. 
Uh, this was the most competitive period of the day. Love converted a fourth and three with a pass to tight end Tyler Davis. We should come up with a nickname for Tyler Davis. This would be fun. Uh, drop it in the uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll put a thing in the Facebook group and a thing on Twitter. But let's let's come up with a nickname for Tyler Davis. I will read off your ideas on the next pod. Actually, maybe not the next pod. The next pod is going to be a fun guest expert who you guys do know. So, uh, assuming that schedules don't fall through, we're going to have a, a fun little chat. Um, let's see. Uh, Bill Huber says, had there been a replay review, the completion might have been overturned as rookie linebacker Quay Walker jarred the ball loose on a bang-bang play. That's one of those, you know, good-bad notes. <laughs> Yay, Quay Walker! Ah, oh, Tyler, come on. <laughs> Regardless, the offense was given the first down. On the next play, Love threw a gorgeous deep ball to receiver Juwan Winfrey against cornerback Raleigh Texada. Winfrey was called down at the 9 for a gain of 48. Love hustled the offense to the line of scrimmage and clocked the ball with 5 seconds to go. I love that they're doing this, you know. Uh, Obviously, you know, most of the 32 teams across the country are doing this, but I love that you're instilling these instincts into Love, you know, of because how many times have we seen Rodgers move the offense downfield, um, you know, when, when you need to run down there and clock it, um, you know, and, and just just the absolute discipline that the whole unit has when they're doing that is just gorgeous to see. And I like that we're practicing that with Love. On the next play, Love threw a dart to rookie receiver Samori Toure for the touchdown. On the two-point attempt to, quote-unquote, win the game, Love faced immediate pressure, and his desperation heave for receiver Romeo Dobbs sailed well over the rookie's head. Uh, Let's see. Just practice. Uh, uh, So this is later. During a red zone period, Love threw low to receiver Amari Rogers. Cornerback KB on Ento reacted quickly and made a diving deflection. The ball was deflected into the air and was caught by Rogers for a touchdown. That's interesting. That was one of two touchdowns by Rodgers during the period. He also caught a back shoulder gem from Love. Sticking in the red zone, Jawan Winfrey, Rodgers, Romeo Dobbs, and Tyler Goodson. Tyler Goodson. Uh, refresh my memory. Tyler Goodson. He is um, he's a running back. So we got two running backs in camp right now, B.J. Baylor and Tyler Goodson. They, the names kind of run together after a minute. Uh, Romeo Dobbs and Tyler Goodson. So those four guys, uh, Winfrey, Amari, Romeo, and Goodson all had touchdown catches. Rookie outside linebacker Kingsley and Nagbar had a sack and a solid play to stop a Goodson run. So two good notes from Nagbar. Those are the first notes I've seen on him so far in uh, in the, the camp. So that's really exciting. Um, let's see. So what do we have come up next? Because so they're, I think they're not doing anything on Wednesday, but then Thursday, they're going to do one final OTA. Then there's going to be a big break and training camp is not going to start until July 27th. Now they are going to, on July 22nd, five days earlier, they're going to begin 
training camp with rookies only. And then the veterans have to report July 26th. And then training camp itself actually starts July 27th. So we have uh, 40 days until then. So right now what we are entering is a period of the offseason where we're hoping, crossing our fingers, we don't want to hear any of these guys' names. Go home. Go have fun. Go on vacation. Do not get in any trouble. Usually we have really pretty pretty decent success with the Packers young guys. Other players around the league at this time of year start getting themselves arrested. They go to stupid parties. They make stupid decisions. Please, for love of everything. Packers guys, just keep your head down. Go chill on a beach somewhere. Don't do anything stupid. Let the players from all the other teams around the country go do stupid stuff. Go have quiet, clean fun. <laughs> Had a couple guys in the last couple of years get into a little bit of trouble. Uh, a couple of those guys aren't here anymore. But from here until mid-late Jan- uh, July, really don't want to hear these guys' names. LaFleur said, there's a standard you have to conduct yourself, not only on the field, but off the field as well, and understand that you represent the Green Bay Packers. We're very fortunate that we have a very strong locker room, and I think that really comes from the veteran leadership that we have on this team. He also said that Aaron Rodgers, Mercedes Lewis, maybe some other guys, um, but he singled those two out um, among some of the leaders who talked to the young guys, uh, pulled the young guys aside and and um, had a talk with them before they left. The floor went on to say, I do think that Goody and his staff have done an outstanding job just bringing in high-character guys, and that makes it a lot less terrifying when they leave for these next five weeks. So, <laughs> lest you think, and by the way, I had not read that quote before I started my little uh, rant 30 seconds ago about keeping your nose clean while you're on vacation. Lest you think that I am overreacting. LaFleur <laughs> just said the word terrifying when he talks about these guys being unsupervised for five weeks. So, <clears throat> I think that's going to do it for uh, Packers notes. Got a couple of NFC North things that I found interesting. First of all, the Lions have signed Devin Funches as a tight end. So that's interesting. Uh, didn't play anywhere last year after getting cut by us. I think he might have signed with the 49ers for like two seconds. Or some team out west signed him. It's just often the 49ers who picks up our guys. Um, did not play at all last year. You'd presume he's maybe sitting around, maybe packs on a couple of pounds. The idea that he comes in less in shape than you'd like for a wide receiver and then you convert him to tight it to tight end. I don't know. We'll we'll see if this works. It's, it's the Lions. It's Devin Funches. I always liked Devin Funches when he was here, but you couldn't realistically have any big expectations from him. And as a tight end, man, uh, this just this is like the most 
linesy move. But we're all going to look like idiots when he retires as a Hall of Fame tight end in a few years. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. So then over in Chicago land, rough day. This is uh, Brad Biggs, who is starting to become a regular feature on this podcast. I might, I might just have to check Brad Biggs' Twitter every time I do an episode because he has so many juicy notes about the Bears just stinking. Rough day for the Bears passing offense in minicamp. Jalen Johnson jumped a route in a two-minute drill for a pick six off Justin Fields. Offensive lineman Dakota Dozier, who has spent some time with the starters at right guard this spring, was taken by the cart to this to the locker room late in practice. No updates on this yet. This is kind of one of the last things that was written yesterday. Head coach Matt Eberflus has talked about impressive showings by the offense this spring. Those have not happened on days that have been open to the media. Oh, Brad Biggs, I love you. <laughs> Like, listen, uh, Matt Eberfus claims that uh, the offense has looked really good. It just has, happens to have never happened on a day when the media was allowed to be there. Uh, two more days left for the Bears this week, just one for the Packers, I believe. No one expects perfection or polish in June, but it's been bogged down for sure. Again, via Brad Biggs. The guy's going to have to get his own theme song at this point. Uh, Matt Eberflus says he basically has no comment on Robert Quinn not reporting for mandatory minicamp. Says he will leave it up to Ryan Poles to deal with that. Delicious. Um, I don't want to read that. That's a positive note. We don't read positive notes about the Bears around here. Uh, former Bears defensive coordinator Rod Marinelli is at minicamp. That is really interesting. We'll address the team tomorrow. Marinelli and Matt Eberflus are very close after working together in Dallas. And again, I, I love reading Brad Biggs because I get the sense that he does not enjoy covering the Bears. So you get really objective coverage from him, and he's kind of likes to know everything negative, which is part of why I enjoy reading him. He has a, a note about Jalen Johnson working with the first team defense which makes sense he's been a starting quarterback for them for a couple years but he says I did not see Kyler Gordon on the field or the sideline Eberflus says Gordon is in the building then Brad Biggs adds his two cents he says that could lead you to speculate as to why the rookie Gordon is at the facility but not at practice um and of course the Bears if you recall were penalized by the NFL they lost one of their OTAs for violating rules. Uh, and so here's a story about Cole Komet playing golf on his day off. Because that's what you really want is uh, golf stories. It's like uh, all the coverage about Rodgers doing whatever he, the Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen thing. I'm sure some folks really, really got a kick out, kick out of that and thought it was fun. I did not watch it. I did not listen to two seconds of it. It's not that I don't care about these guys. I just do not care about golf. Not interesting to me. Um, that's probably all I need to go into on Bears. I could talk about the Bears forever, but it's not a Bears podcast. Of course, uh, Al Lazard did sign his second round tender with the Packers, so that is worth $3.986 or $4.6 million. 
basically four million bucks. Uh, I get the sense that, you know, maybe not everything is uh, paradise between Lazard and the Packers right now. But he is here. Uh, I, I really want to know what Lazard specifically was asking from the Packers. Because it doesn't seem like he got anything other than a little bit of time off. Final thing. Um, this is not Packers news, but uh, mini camps begin. Uh, what was this? On the 13th? I think it's the 13th. 14th. For the, both Browns and the Panthers. Trade talks between the two camps surrounding quarterback Baker Mayfield are, are heating up. The main issue remains Mayfield's salary and how much or how little teams pay. There's urgency on Carolina's side to execute the deal soon so Mayfield can come get some time in minicamp with the Panthers. For the Browns, it's the best offer they have. Talks are ongoing. My question is, why? <laughs> I, I like Baker, but the, the Panthers roster... With Baker at the helm, I think you're probably looking at like nine and eight, which is probably enough to just keep Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer's jobs, and once again put the Panthers in that purgatory of you're not good enough to really make any noise in the playoffs. You know, you're hoping maybe you're a wild card. And you're way out of reach of any of the good quarterback prospects in the draft. You're going to keep these coaches who are, you know, have, have not done anything for you. I mean, the, the Panthers have a really good defense. No question about that. Offense has been horrific. And, and yeah, beefing up quarterback would help. I just don't know if specifically Baker is enough. All right, we're at basically an hour, so I'm going to wrap this up and get out of here. Uh, you folks have a fantastic day. I'll talk to you all later. Uh, Patreon.com slash JJ Leahy if you want to support the show and support what I do. Uh, and uh, Twitter.com slash JJ Leahy is the best way to send in questions or send me interesting news stories that you find. So check me out on there, and uh, I'll talk to you all probably tomorrow or the next day. Have a good one. Bye-bye.